Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. We have multiple locations, including an online service found at gethope.tv. If you're not from the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina or near our Agape campus in Haiti, we'd love to still have you be a part of what Hope is up to through our online services. If you do live in our physical area, go to our website at gethope.net to check out where our campuses are located and our service times. Please like and share this with your friends or family. We are so glad you stopped by. Well, hello. I feel like we already met. I'm a little nervous. It's been a year since I preached. When I get nervous, I speak in a Scottish accent. (laughs) How you doing? Are you all right? Yeah. All right, let's turn it on. This is full Mufasa. Um, (laughs) It is so good to be with you guys. And um, I was being earnest. It it has been a year since I have spoke in a room, uh, of course, because of um, our friend COVID-19. And so what a privilege it is to be able to have my first time uh, back with God's people gathered together uh, in this lovely place. And so thank you for welcoming me so well. Uh, I, I really do count it a gift, and I hope that tonight will be an encouragement, or today, or this evening, or whatever time it is, because you know that in COVID, there's only today, yesterday, and tomorrow. Uh, time is relative, and uh, focusing on it will only get you confused. So uh, I hope that this will be helpful. Uh, we start a new series today called Big God, Big Church. You saw that. And the goal over the next few weeks is for us to see together uh, God's church as more than what we do on a Sunday, that it is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multi-everything movement of the living God. Can I get an amen on that? Now, I don't know how many of y'all are churched uh, or how many of y'all are from the South, but when you bring a black preacher in, you better talk to him. I'm going to get upset. So I'm going to need you to talk back. I'm a recovering Catholic. Uh, And uh, so sit, kneel, sit, kneel, stand, leave. We don't do that anymore. Uh, So uh, what came with grace is loudness, and I'm going to need a little bit of it. Uh, But if you are a part of God's church, I want you to know tonight that you're a part of something that is much bigger than yourself. Uh, It is not just a weekend experience. It's not just a small group. It's not just your serve team. It is literally God's answer for the world. And if you are a follower of Jesus or fully sold out on what it means to be a Christian, then this is an opportunity for you to remember what it is that you've actually committed your life to. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, this is a great time for you to be here too. Why? Because you get a chance to know what the church is actually about. And when you see Christian folk acting up, then you can hold them accountable and call them on it. Amen? Amen. All right. Who? We got a Presbycostal over here somewhere. I am Presbyterian and charismatic. I know it don't go together, but hey. The gospel has been confusing and beautiful for a long time. Uh, In a community like this one, we have an opportunity to see God's great dream, the church, take its place in the world in a way that will be truly transformative for anyone that encounters it. And that is what we get to be a part of. And so as we navigate this series together, I don't believe that we'll have all the answers. 
But I believe we can look to the scriptures to see what it is that God would have his church to be and how it is that we get to play a role in that. And so if you would, if you have a Bible with you, uh, go ahead and open it up. Uh, we're going to be in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus or Ephesians, and we're going to be in chapter three, looking at verses one through 13. Uh, Ephesians chapter three, looking at verses one through 13. And we're going to read them together to orient our hearts because I won't really reference them again once I get going. So I want you to know that this is grounded in the word of God and nowhere else. So Ephesians chapter three, verses one through 13. I think they'll have them up on the screen as well. Hear the word of the Lord. This is the reason that I, Paul, uh, am a prisoner for Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. For surely you have already heard of the commission of God's grace that was given to me. Not for me alone, but for you. And how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I wrote in a few words, a reading of which will enable you to perceive my understanding of the mystery of Christ. In former generations, this mystery was not made known to humankind as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That is, the Gentiles, we got any Gentiles in here? All of y'all should raise your hand because you're not Jewish. Raise your hand. All right. That is, the Gentiles have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, and sharers in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, Paul says, I've become a servant according to the gift of God's grace that was given me by the working of his power. Although I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to bring to the Gentiles the news of the boundless riches of Christ and to make everyone see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the wisdom of God in its rich variety might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose that he has carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have access to God in boldness and confidence through faith in him. I pray therefore that you may not lose heart over my sufferings for they are for your glory. Would you pray for me and I'm gonna pray for you and ask for God's help. Father, we ask now that you would move in power. Father God, I have nothing to offer these people. <laughs> a few stories, a little humor, but you have a word that transforms forever. And so would you speak now, no matter where we are in our journey with Jesus or toward Jesus or away from Jesus, we need to hear from you. So please speak, we ask in Jesus' name. And everybody say it together. Amen. Amen. I knew y'all was with me today. On August 28th, 1963, Standing tall on the Lincoln Memorial, facing a crowd of a quarter million people, packed into the National Mall from the Washington Monument to the very steps where he was standing, Dr. Martin Luther King delivered what has become known as the most iconic speech, I Have a Dream. It was actually originally entitled, Normalcy No More. How apropos for the time in which we find ourselves. The handwritten manuscript from which Dr. King gave his speech contained none of the references to the dream which we have become so familiar with. The address was meant to inspire those present and challenge those opposed to address the plights facing African-American citizens of the U.S. 
In fact, in many places, it referenced themes of joblessness and even police brutality. Perhaps none of the dream language was in the prepared remarks because one of his advisors, Wyatt Walker, told Dr. King that the dream language was trite and overused. Perhaps none of the dream language was in the original address because Dr. King had been up until four o'clock in the morning trying to hone and craft what would become his great declaration. Whatever the reason, whatever the reason could have been the most renowned portion of the most famous speech maybe ever given almost didn't happen. So how did it come to be called the I Have a Dream speech? Well, there on that sweltering, muggy afternoon in Washington, D.C., after many in attendance had already left because the day had been so hot and so sticky and Dr. King was the last speaker of the day, Dr. King began to go through his prepared remarks. And then out of nowhere and uninvited, that great gift to gospel music, Mahalia Jackson shouted out from near the front row, tell him about the dream, Martin. At that moment, Dr. King abandoned his prepared remarks. He began to delve into the heart of his life's message extemporaneously. Tying together pieces of the Gettysburg Address and the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, Shakespeare's Richard II, and of course, Scripture. And so even though we face difficulties of today and tomorrow, he said, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live according to its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. I have a dream one day that every valley shall be exalted and every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places made plain and the crooked places made straight and the glory of the Lord will be revealed for us to see together. Line after line, stanza after stanza, Dr. King bellowed forth his beautiful dream. And as the author and editor John Meacham writes, with a single phrase, Martin Luther King Jr. joined Jefferson and Lincoln in the ranks of men who shaped modern America. I want to share this short narration with you for two purposes. First, to remind you of the power of a dream held and declared. The reverberations of Dr. King's dream were so strong that it forced the government to address the many plights that had been brought up for so long for those people of color in this nation. I share this short narration with you secondly because it is a reminder of how easily we can dismiss a great dream, particularly if it is not packaged in a way that we have predetermined to be palatable. You see, though we now remember Dr. King's dream with fondness, and we posted memes and Instagram feed stories and Facebook stories on his birthday to redeclare our affirmation of his dream. Back then, the head of the FBI's Domestic Intelligence Division William Sullivan wrote in a memo that the speech solidified King as, quote, the most dangerous Negro for the future of this nation. 
In fact, many of the next day's newspaper reporters overlooked not only the dream section of the speech, but the speech altogether. And though it is celebrated now, the speech nearly vanished from public view by Dr. King's death in 1968. I share all of this with you because we quite easily do the same with what is inarguably the greatest dream ever dreamt. You see, King's dream was merely a whisper. It was a, it was a reflection. It was an echo of the greatest dream ever dreamt, God's dream for humanity, for his world. God's great dream is a community of people formed from all people for himself and for one another. And at the center of that great dream for humanity, in fact, the dream itself is the church. If you tune out for the rest of everything I say, that is it. That is the lick. God's great dream has always been the church. Don't miss it. And it matters for us to understand that. Why? Because we conceive of the church as mostly a necessary afterthought. Can I say that to you this evening? Can I say that to you today? We learn how to go through the motions and how to serve on our teams and how to do our thing, but we forget that it was never about the building. It was never about the teams. It was never about the parking lot. It was never about the small groups. It was always about God forming a family for himself from all people and our participating in that. God's Great dream is the church. It is not an afterthought. It is not an inconvenience. It is not a building. It is not a locale. It is not a tolerable institution. God forbid we ever believe that it is irrelevant. It is everything that he ever hoped for. And what God is doing now is calling his people to remember to remember what it is that they are participating in, maybe for the first time. And so what I want to invite you to do over the next several minutes is to reimagine the church. However you may conceive it, however you may think of it, however you may perceive it in your mind, reimagine the church with me as God's great dream. After all, this is at the heart of what Paul writes in his beautiful letter to the church at Ephesus. If you want to read on with me, I'll give you a little bit of context. The apostle Paul is in a dark, dank, likely stone cell. He's in prison, he tells us. He is suffering. He is doing so For the sake of non-Jewish Christians, he writes, and his commitment to this is, is because he is led by the Spirit in his tireless efforts of preaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus. After that verse, his sentence actually breaks abruptly. I don't do this often. You know, a lot of pastors say in the Greek to to sound like they went to school. And I'm I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I do it sometimes. But in the Greek... (laughs) (laughs) I know. His sentence breaks off abruptly as he is explaining the nature of his conditions. And he goes into this lengthy digression about the great mystery of God, which 
suddenly and decisively has been revealed in the era in which the church was born. In a bit of irony and likely lyrical flourish, Paul regards their knowledge of this reality uh, as something that they should already know as somewhat of a foregone conclusion. It would have certainly been such because they were indeed a result of his great commission. The knowledge they have is of Paul's stewardship towards them. God has entrusted to Paul the great responsibility of spreading the message of his cosmic redemption. And according to Paul, the great mystery revealed to him and how the mystery was made known to him was by a revelation of sorts. I believe we can imagine that perhaps it happened in that powerful moment if you don't know the story of Paul on the road to Damascus. You see, for those of you who think that you are too bad or you've done too much for God to ever work with you, Paul was a terrorist, not figurative, literal terrorist, dragging people from their houses and murdering them in the name of Judaism. So whatever you got in your closet, God can work with that, amen? And if you're a terrorist, just keep it to yourself. <laughs> but if you don't know that story, Paul is riding on his donkey. That's what they did back then, Don Quixote style. And he hears a loud voice and a bright light, and it knocks him from his donkey. And Jesus calls out to him from the sky. What an experience. And he tells him who he's going to be and what he's going to do and where he's going to go. Perhaps this was the moment that Paul received this great revelation where God showed him where history was headed all along. In true Pauline fashion, he says, oh, I have written briefly about this. Paul didn't write briefly about anything. In fact, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is when Peter tells the people he's writing to that Paul is hard to understand. You don't believe me? Google it. Peter's like, yeah, I don't really know what he's saying either. Just follow Jesus. It'll be okay. It'll, it'll be all right. Don't cut anybody's ear off. You won't have any trouble. Again, I know this is tangential, but it does, I mean, really, what do you got in your closet? I mean, Peter, Peter's a felon. That's a felony charge. And Jesus is like, yeah, let's go preach anyway. Are you sorry? Okay, just go. He's written briefly. And the Christians at Ephesus, Paul believes, have had access to this letter. He doesn't tell his readers or us why. Maybe because he doesn't know himself. But this great mystery of God has been hidden for generations, Paul says. A way of saying that there's no limitation to the time through which this has not been fully revealed. In other words, there has been no time up to the point of Paul's ministry that this mystery had been made known, but now it had been revealed to the apostles and prophets of that generation. Let me demystify those words. Apostles, entrepreneurs. Prophets, people you don't want to talk to in a crowded room because they tell you about yourself and they have no problem embarrassing you. Paul says humankind once had no insight into the great mystery of God, but now, 
Because of the decisive revelation of God and through the trumpeting voices of God's stewards, humankind would gain insight into divine dreaming and eternal secrets. It's right on the page. Look for yourself. What is Paul saying there? God determined to uncover his mystery and reveal his dream to those that would be his people and eventually to do the same to the entire world. What was this extraordinary mystery revealed? It's twofold. One, that the Gentiles or those who are not Jews would become co-heirs in corporate and shareholders of the promise. Now what Paul puts before us is a beautiful and complex piece of writing. And he uses three compound adjectives to describe this incredible privilege, each starting with the prefix co. God has given non-Jewish people or Gentiles the privilege of being co-heirs first, meaning that there is a sonship or a, a daughtership in the language of the gospel. Gentiles, now united to Jesus, become God's people, God's children, inheritors of every promise that God has ever made. There's nothing that God is keeping behind his back from you. Everything he has is yours in Jesus. Every single thing. Paul says that we have become co-heirs, that we have become co-recipients of his promise, that we are the apple of his eye because of the covenant or bound promise, not based on your behavior, but based on God's character. In other words, you don't have to earn your own way. It has already been accomplished for you through Jesus. To be God's people in the Old Testament meant to be covenantally and ethnically associated with him. But at the apocalyptic event of the cross, hear this good news. Everything changed forever. In Jesus, belonging to the family of God is no longer ethnically determined, but determined by belief. In fact, the gospel tells us that there on the cross, God's sinless son hung, pinned to the wood, not by nails, but by the sin of humankind. That there on the cross, he who knew no sin was made to be sin so that those who do sin can be cloaked in a righteousness that is not their own. I need a B3 and some amens. There on the cross, Jesus secured the adoption of many daughters and sons who were not born into God's covenant people by blood, but were welcomed into God's covenant people by the blood of Jesus. There on the cross, God's judgment and justice rained down on his sinless son rather than on those who had received it so that we could be joyfully welcomed into his family. There on the cross, the great mystery of a people, a new ethnos, a new family formed from every Every nation in the world was revealed to the world, not by blood, but by sacrifice, not by earning, but by God's love, not by goodness, but by mercy. There on the cross, 
Jesus took on every ugly thing we could even think of doing so that we, so that we could be perfected in him. That's why it's called good news. Because the whole world tells us that we've got to fix ourselves, right ourselves, get ourselves together, clean ourselves up, make ourselves better. We've got to, we've got to, we've got to. And the gospel says, no, stand there and receive and watch God work. Oh, I'll shout myself down. Don't you worry. I told you I'm Presbyterian. And I learned a long time that the way white folks say amen is to take furious notes. I am not bothered. You know what I'm talking about. I'm like, oh, I'm preaching good today. I'm preaching good today. I'm preaching good today. <laughs> I'm sorry. I promised Don I would behave, but that's what grace is for. Um, the revelation, look, I'm gonna try to get serious again. It's not gonna happen. <clears throat> the revelation of the mystery, though, it doesn't stop at co-air. Isn't God just a God of abundance? It would have been enough that we were co-heirs, but it doesn't stop at co-heirs. This is maybe the craziest word that Paul uses. In fact, sorry to do this again, but in the Greek, uh, <laughs> it's actually a word he made up. He made this word up. And the rough translation that we have is we're not only co-heirs, but we're co-bodied. We're co-bodied. What does that even mean? Well, you can get an allusion to it in Ephesians chapter 2, which it, it means that, that somehow, together, we form one new body. No longer two, but one. That because of our union with Jesus, we are like one new human in God's family. Paul was, was so enraptured with this mystery and trying to describe what it is like to not be born ethnically Jewish, but all of a sudden receive all of God's promises, even though you came from outside of the camp, and to be all of these different ethnicities. In fact, he says in Colossians 3, 11, now therefore there is no Greek or Jew, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, uncircumcised or circumcised, but Christ is all and in all. And he made up a word to describe it. Co-bodied. You've been, you've been melded together and yet have not lost the distinctiveness of God's creative genius in your ethnos. How does that work? I don't know. That's why it's a mystery. Co-heirs, co-bodied. And finally, Paul says that we are co-partners which for you business-minded people means that we are shareholders in God's eternal company. We're not just beneficiaries, we're shareholders. 
We've got stock in the kingdom and it don't rise and fall. That's what Paul is on about here. The great mystery revealed is that we have become mutual owners of every promise and every blessing. And therefore, we become stewards of such a great gift. Now, all of that buildup has not been without purpose or without reason. And it is certainly not meant to center Paul in God's plans, but rather it was meant to build toward the zenith, if you will, of this great mystery. You see, Paul was given this task above all else, if you want to look with me in verse 9 and 10, to make everyone see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, watch this, so that through the what? Through the church. Through the church. The wisdom of God in its rich variety, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Listen, what Paul writes here is that this mystery is not just about the Gentiles receiving the gospel. It is not just about us being co-heirs and co-bodied and co-partners, but that there is something cosmic at work. That there is something that he must shine a light on and illuminate. That through all of time past, all of time past, I want, you to, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to think. All of time past, up until the moment that Paul is writing, God chose not to reveal the dream he dreamt to anyone but himself. This divine dream goes back hidden for ages in God, he who created all things. But now, the cosmic scope of salvation, Paul says, will be revealed. The divine plan for the universe itself will be made explicit, and it is not coming through any other vehicle but through his church. You thought you were just doing your due diligence as a good Southern Christian. No. Do you know why our faith feels stagnant? My beautiful screen people, I'm way off script right now. Just follow the spirit. He knows where he's going. Do, do you know why our faith feels stagnant? Why it feels dry? why Christianity feels rote, why it feels boring, because we forgot what we're part of. We forgot what we're part of. 
we, we, have, we have limited the scope of God's plan to getting us right with him and getting to heaven and, and doing some good stuff and throwing a little money in the bucket and showing up on the weekends. And God says, do you not know that I've made you to change the world. Ephesians 2.10, you are a masterpiece made by a master craftsman, given a master work to multiply in his world until it is fully submitted to his glory and his goodness. You were not made to just show up. That's the beauty about being a guest speaker. I don't have to stay here. I can show up and talk crazy and go home and be sweet to my own church so they won't leave. But I'm not responsible for y'all. Now I'm just joking. I yell at my people too. It's just a love language. Listen, you were made for more than that. Do you understand that God restrained his own revelation? Not through Israel. Not through any one person. Not even fully at the cross. He restrained his own revelation to follow the resurrection so that the church could be the declaration of what God was up to in the world. Hear me. What God is doing in the world is the church. Oh, I wish I had a little more time. All those other things are great. They're great. I love parachurch ministry. I love great businesses. I love athletics. I love food. Love food. But the only eternal entity in the world is the one that you're a part of. Nations will rise and fall. Kingdoms will come and go. Elections will be won and lost. Economies will swell and shrink. But the church, the church, the church just goes and goes and goes because it is God's vehicle for the revelation of what he's doing in the world. In fact, one of my favorite quotes comes from the late John Stott, who's a pastor and an author and a gentleman, and a theologian. And he said, the church is God's new community conceived in a past eternity, being worked out in history and to be perfected in a future eternity. Hear me. The church was always the plan. The church was always the goal. The church was always the purpose. The church was always the dream. If you are a part of God's church, then you are a part of a divine dream that ever existed. There is no greater gift that you could possibly have in your life. The church's role of both embodying and disclosing God's divine dream was determined in accordance with God's eternal 
purposes, which he carried out and fulfilled in Jesus. In fact, it is the very purpose for which God unfolded and ordained each era of salvation history. God's church is the fulfillment of an eternal dream for an intimate people who would reveal his wisdom to heavenly hosts. And you woke up this morning thinking you didn't have no purpose. That every day was just gonna be the same. Well, let me tell you, friends, no. No, you are a part of revealing God's great gift to the world, both to the world and to angels who look on. In fact, Peter wrote that, that what God has revealed to us, angels long to look into. Now, we have to ask ourselves, why does this matter to us and for us? Can I personalize it for a minute? As a pastor, for what seems like every year of our ministry in Atlanta, I've read blogs, studies, books, tweets, all declaring the church is in decline. The church is fading away. People aren't going to church anymore. The church is irrelevant. The church is done. No. No. No, we must refuse that. We must refuse that. Because God is not a fickle God, so he's not going to make a fickle commitment to his church. He's going to sustain her. He's going to see her through. And so the question we have to ask ourselves then is, how can something so important to God sometimes feel so bothersome to us. I'm responsible. Alongside every other person who calls on the name of Jesus, who has treated the church as everything from a dispensary of religious goods and services to a way to make a living and everything benign in between. What if we decided we wanted more? What if we decided that this was the moment that, that we were going to do things differently? Listen, that, that, that big church, big God wasn't going to just be a cool series where a bunch of dudes came in from out of town and you got to take notes and decide which one was the best speaker. Already won. Um, <laughs> tell Pastor Joby that when he gets here next week. He's one of my best friends. And he's going to tell some kind of joke about me being both big and black. It will be uncomfortable. But I want to tell you already it's okay to laugh because we're friends. Um, What if big church or big God, big church was more than a series we did that one time? Remember when we did that series, big God, big church, and that big dude yelled at us for like 40 minutes? That was cool. Can we want more than that? What if we, what if we decided to reimagine the church as God's great dream. What if we did that 
instead. In fact, I want to encourage you in a couple ways that you might respond. This is where your note-taking gets fast and furious. Number one, if you want to respond to this message, begin by asking God to make your heart alive with his divine dream. Some of this is going to require the work of the Spirit to reignite some things, to, to fan some embers into flame. Number two, ask God to help you reimagine his church. You know, growing up a bad Catholic, all I could ever imagine the church as was a place where I got in trouble. And I was talking to my man Rich before service, and we were talking about those times that we were like, okay, we just hope we die right after confession, and then everything will be okay. Just don't say old blank when you die, because then you might lose it again, right? And that's how I conceived of the church is the place that housed an angry God. That's false. Ask God to help you reimagine his church. Number three, ask God to give you a great love for his church. And not just Hope Church, the church. For renovation, for transformation, for Lake Point. For 1122, ask God to give you a love for the church. Here's the hardest one. Ask God to, to forgive you, along with me, to forgive you for the ways you've despised or diminished or disregarded his church. Now that was for the Jesus people. But I know there are people who are watching, who are listening, who are here. And maybe you don't follow Jesus yet. And all of this felt a little strange to you. Maybe it even stunned you. But I don't want you to get lost in that. Because the single most important thing you need to know today is that God wants you to know him. That he wants you to be caught up, swept up in this beautiful dream. that he wants you to be a co-everything in his family. And so I don't know how you guys do it here, but I make, a, I make a time every week to try and pray for people who may be on the edge of receiving Jesus for the first time. And so if you would indulge me just this one time as a guest, would everybody just close their eyes and bow their head for just a moment? And I'm not gonna ask you to slip your hand up or come down front or anything like that. I'm just gonna make an invitation I'm going to make an invitation for those of you who are watching right now. If this is your moment to receive Jesus for the first time, would you say this prayer with me? Jesus, I don't understand it all, but I understand that you want me be a part of your family, to be a part of your dream, 
to be swept up in your story. Will you save me now that I might be transformed and changed forever? In Jesus' name, amen. Don't allow that to be a decision you made in isolation. God is going to have you be a part of his dream. We're coming all the way. We're not going to do it privately. Let somebody know that you made that decision or, or maybe drop it in the chat if you're watching so that this community can walk alongside of you. Last word here. A dream, a dream is worth a great deal. Some dreams are even considered invaluable. In fact, as Dr. King waved goodbye to the Washington Mall audience there, a man named George Raveling, volunteering as a security guard at the event, asked Dr. King if he could have his original handwritten manuscript. Dr. King, in his kindness, just handed it to him. In 2013, Raveling still had custody of the original copy. This is crazy. He received multiple offers of $3 million for that handwritten manuscript. Why is that important? Because that was $3 million for handwritten scrawl of a beautiful dream for a temporal reality. How much more, <laughs> how much more is God's great dream worth both to us as his people and the rest of the world as his promise? Even the word invaluable cannot possibly capture it. That's what's been placed in our hands. And I pray, believe, hope that we would receive it as such. Father, would you help us to see now with clarity the great dream that we are a part of? Would you give us a heart, a longing, a passion to love your church because we are your dream. And would we be full of fervor to carry that dream into every corner and every crevice of creation. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We appreciate you joining us as we tackle issues facing our modern world from a biblical perspective. To make sure you don't miss a message, please take a moment and hit the subscribe button. Also, if you're new to Hope and want to check out what we're about and how to be a part of our community, go to our next steps at gethope.net slash next. Let us know your story because we'd love to connect you.